Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 361 of the Ask the Coach show, where we answer your table tennis questions. I'm Jeff Plum, and as always, I'm joined by Super Coach Alois Rosario. Welcome, Alois. Uh, thank you, Jeffrey, and uh, welcome everyone out there in the big wide world. Hopefully, you are all doing really well. Indeed, indeed. Um, and um, well, we're talking table tennis, Alois, but Australia's on the on the news for tennis at the moment. Oh, Covid isn't it? Djokovic and controversy everywhere. Yeah, it certainly is controversial stuff in Australia. I know. Yes, who would have thought? But uh, <laughs> yes, the eyes of the world are on us. <laughs> That's right. I mean, you usually get a bit of coverage because of the Australian Open tennis, but uh, yeah, not uh, not usually this early in the piece. <laughs> Indeed. Now, Alice, why did the Scottish man have plumbing issues? Um, I don't know, Jeff. He only had bagpipes. <laughs> That's not great, is it? No. <laughs> finally, finally, you're admitting it. Go on. All right. Well, um, what does a cloud wear under his raincoat? Oh, I don't know, Jeff. Thunderwear. <laughs> oh, so good. It's good to get the joke out of the day. A joke of the day done nice and early, and uh, and just be able yeah. to move on. Yeah, that's right. Because hopefully, people forget about it when they. End the show and then come back next show. Oh, dear. Now, last episode, Alice, we were talking about a particular rule and there was a bit of uh, indecision about the rule because the volley rule, like if it's just in a normal rally, if the ball's, if someone hits the ball in the full, the point stops. And depending on whether you hit it over the table, the person who hits it, if you hit it over the table, you lose the point. But if you hit it after it's gone beyond the end line, you win the table. And this question was, what happens if it's a serve and it hits the net on the way over and then they hit it on the full? Yeah, that was that was tricky. So what did we decide, Jeff? I think we decided it was the same rule as the volley. Yeah. That, that, yeah it's yeah, very, uh, very, it's an interesting rule, isn't it? It so, is an interesting rule. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, but, so we're still no wiser, is what you're saying. <laughs> that's, the uh, so, kind of, that's the kind of preparation we put into this show, Alois. So, yeah, so from a pre previous question, we, we got the reply from uh, Graham Ireland, who's our trusty umpire, and he said, yeah, there's nothing in the laws or anywhere else to prevent this. The service law doesn't mention the racket at all. It is readily accepted that you can... Oh, no, that's a completely different rule. Um <laughs> <laughs> this Completely is the different rule. We put into this, people. <laughs> um, yeah. So if it if it touches the net on the serve and then you hit it on the full before it bounces while it's still over the table, then it's got to be a let, doesn't it? It has to be a let. Yeah, that's what I was saying last episode. But you weren't so sure. It's got to no. be a let. Yeah, it's got to be. That's a what let. we're so going. That's a let. That's a let. And if it goes off the end of the table and then you hit it, then it's your point because it's already gone off the end of the table. Simple. 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 I don't know what we were getting. I don't know what we were getting so confused about, Jeff. No, no, that, that's exactly right. It's a simple rule, same as the volley rule, and uh, move on. 
That's right. Good. I was I was right. Is all I have to say about that. Uh, there's always a time. <laughs> oh, dear. Now, Alois. Yes. What happened on this day or on this week? Ah, good. I'm glad you asked me that. Um, so, well, not exactly on this day, but on the 13th of January. Mm-hmm. Yep. 1985, Georgina Potter was born. Wow. Yeah, so um, so Georgina's a Hungarian table tennis player, and um, she's she's done really well in the in the um, European um, scene. So in uh, at the European Championship, she won a gold medal in the teams in 2007 in Belgrade, um, and also um, won a gold medal in St Petersburg in 2008 in the doubles. So two golds at the European Championships, four silver medals. Um, three for doubles and one for teams, and two bronze medals, so one for doubles and one in mixed doubles. And also, um, in the World Cup, um, won a bronze medal in the teams event in 2007, so when Hungary won that bronze medal in 2007. So Georgina Potter, an important part of the Hungarian um, women's team for a very long time. And, uh, And so she was born in 1985. What does that make her, Jeff? Um, 36, I believe. Yeah, 37. Um, or 37, yes. <laughs> yeah. N- not forgetting that it's now 2000 and whatever it is, 22, is it? 22, 22. yes, exactly. Another year gone by. Do you realise it's been 22 years since you played at the Olympics, Jeff? Like, there's some... <laughs> that, that's a long time, isn't it? <laughs> there's people There's people who are, you know, like, you know, complete adults that weren't alive. <laughs> Anyway, not 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 saying you're old or anything, but I'm just. But I'm old. <laughs> but I'm just pointing out some facts for you. That's right. Thank you. So anyway, um, yeah, happy birthday to Georgina Potter. Yes, happy birthday, Georgina. Ah, oh, there you go. All right. Well, um, that brings us on to the tip of the week. What have we got for us? Ah, yes, an interesting tip of the week this week. So just starting to think a little bit more tactically this week. And often, you know, we talk about when we're playing to someone, you know, do we play it to their forehand or do we play it to their backhand because their forehand's weaker or their backhand's weaker? Um, Or do we try and play it out really wide so that they can't reach it? But one area that is often forgotten and I think um, is utilised well by the top players, but maybe not so well utilised by that next level of player, is playing into the middle or to the crossover point of a player. Mm. So the crossover point is where they change between playing a forehand and a backhand. So that can be a point of indecision for um, your opponent. And so that area is, it's not a big area, but it's an important area to try to exploit um, and explore uh, with your opponent sometimes when you're playing in a match situation. Um, and I guess the the other important part about that playing to that middle is the ball needs to be reasonably fast if you're playing to the middle because you want to cut down their decision-making time. So the issue for your opponent is being able to make that decision in time between the forehand and backhand. If you play the ball really slowly there, they've got plenty of time to make that decision. If you play the ball a little bit faster into that uh, position then that cuts down their decision making time and then that's where you start to see a little bit of hesitancy and 
what you're going to get is an is a simple ball that uh, comes back to you that then you can play a stronger shot off. So, mm. um, yeah. So next time you're playing a, a match or a game or even in your training now, start to think about trying to find your opponent's um, point of indecision there in that middle area. Yeah. Now, um, when you say the middle, like when I'm playing a backhand, like that's like right in front of my stomach really. So – the middle is not going to be right in front of my stomach, is it? No. So the the middle or the crossover point, and probably the crossover point is probably a better term for it. It's usually under their armpit. So if they're a right-hander, it's under their right armpit because that's the sort of area that they're going to start to have to decide between playing a backhand or a forehand. So, um, yeah. So for, and for each player, that's going to be slightly different. So during a match or even during a training session, just explore where that position is for the player that you're playing um, at the time. And it can be a little bit different because some players will tend to favor their forehand. So they'll they'll creep over a bit and, and cover that middle-ish area with their forehand. But then there is a spot if you go a little bit further over to their backhand side, when now they need to switch over and start to play a backhand from that place. So, yeah. And, and the other, the other thing is it's, it's very much in relation to where your opponent is or your opponent's position. It's not really a position on the table. So you can't say, I'm going to play six inches to that side of the white line of the middle line uh, because your opponent's always in a slightly different position at, at, at the table. Yeah, that's why I like that, what you said there, like going for their um, shoulder or their under their armpit. Yeah, nice. Excellent. Great tip. Thank you. So that's that's your tip of the week this week, folks. Go out there and uh, in your training, if you get a chance to play some matches, yeah, just explore that area. Ah, very good, very good. Now, we have some pretty interesting uh, questions this week, Alloys. Um, um, always, Jeff, always. What our, we think? Our readers are very, uh, very interesting people. That's true, that's true. And the first question is from David, and he says, I find myself hitting the top of the net a lot, and whenever he does it, Alloys, the ball goes off the end of the table and he loses the point, which is extremely frustrating. But he's noticed a lot of other players with a lot more luck. It hits the net and just falls over. So he's thinking maybe it's because he's hitting the ball harder. But is there is there anything to this? And is there a way to um, rectify this situation? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so David, certainly, it, like, if once you do start to play the ball faster, then... You know, the, if you if you're clipping the top of that net, the ball will tend to fly long. You know, if you play the ball slowly and the ball clips the top of the net, it's gonna hasn't got enough momentum to go off the end of the table and it tends to to fall onto the other side. So, what you really need to start to think about doing is, as you start to play faster, we need to start to think about playing with more topspin. If you play flat, then the ball needs to um, go very, very close to the net if you play the ball faster. The faster you go and the closer to the net you go, then th that ball can still go onto the table. But if you go, if you go say, 10 centimetres higher and play fast, then the ball's going to go off the end if you haven't got any topspin on the ball. So the key then is to play that faster ball with topspin. 
the top spin is going to give you a better margin for error over the net, and the top spin is going to drag the ball down onto the table after it goes over the net. Um, so effectively, it gives you a much bigger hitting area and much bigger margin for error when you're playing. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And then, like, table tennis is a game of spin, isn't it? So, yeah, learning how to get that top spin uh, is really going to transform your game. You're going to be able to hit the ball faster, but more consistently as well, which sounds kind of counterintuitive. Yeah, that's right. And so the, the key then for for generating that top spin is the, the contact you're making on the ball. So if you hit, a, hit the ball flat... Um, then the ball isn't going to have much topspin. So start to think about just brushing um, finely on the ball. And you can brush the top of the ball or you can brush the back of the ball. Um, but as long as you're starting to get that ball rotating forwards, and then the more topspin you get, the, the more the ball is going to dip down onto the table as well. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's the real keys. So if you're going to play fast, then you need to start to develop a little bit more topspin, David, and um, and then you'll find that you won't be hitting the top of the net so often. And even when you do hit the top of the net, the ball's more likely to drop onto the table. Yeah, excellent. And and of course, Alois, we have a great video on that forehand topspin. So check that out on the Pink Skills website. Indeed, and we'll put a link on the show notes. Indeed, uh, on the forehand topspin. Thanks, David. All right, next up is a question from Roy, and he says, um, I'm having a problem blocking a heavy topspin. So he's playing against someone who's, who's utilising this great uh, forehand topspin technique and, and getting lots of topspin on it. And he used to not have a problem, but now I think it's got into his head a bit. He's blocking too early or too late, and the ball's flying off the table or straight into the net. Um, and he's trying to watch the angle of his bat, but he just can't really get the hang of it. So do you have any advice for dealing with those heavy top spins? Yeah. So um, so one thing you talk about there, uh, Roy, is that, you know, you're starting to um, starting to worry about it a little bit. And as soon as you do start to worry about it, then you're going to tighten up. And that's the, that's the, the worst thing you can do when that ball's coming to you with a lot of um, spin. Because if, you're, if your hand's tight the bat's going to be very rigid and the ball's going to really fly off your bat. So one one thing to think about first with that um, slow or that spinnier topspin is to make sure you're hitting the ball uh, when it's quite high. So let the ball come up off the table. So then you're hitting the ball um, above net height and then you can just play straight down on the ball, not straight down, but, but hit more down on the ball and... Um, because the ball's coming from a higher trajectory, you're going to have a better margin for error over the net. So that's that's the first thing to think about. The second thing is to to stay relaxed. Um, mm. So if you if you tighten up, then the, the, the as, as I said, that bat's going to be very rigid, and it's going to be like a, a brick wall, and the ball's going to fly off. Whereas if you soften your hand, the the racket becomes a little bit spongier and softer and absorbs a bit of the spin and speed and um, enables you to control the ball better um, down onto the table. So they're, they're the first two things to really think about um, if you're having a problem against that that spinnier, spinnier type of uh, topspin. 
Um, but you've also got other options. So apart from just blocking the ball, you know, then there's also you can also think about just counter spinning the ball as well. So just coming over the top of the ball and and um, and and giving it a, a little bit of top spin to go back as well. So that that'll help the ball from flying up and off your off your racket too. Yeah, so, that's a little bit more advanced shot, but once you learn it, it can be uh, um, really hard for your opponent to deal with because then suddenly their shot's coming back at them with a bit more top spin and, um, yeah, it can be really yeah. effective. Yeah, and we, we, we set, the, set um, out in a video called the um, Countering a Slow Spinny Top Spin um, and it shows you some options that you can uh, utilise there when uh, when the player is playing uh, that uh, top spin ball to you. So we'll again we'll put uh, uh, a link in the show notes. You can have a look at uh, that video on how to counter a slow spinny top spin. Yeah, and while we're now allowed to kind of travel a bit, Alois, that could be another video we could redo because that's a good video, very popular video, but it is a little old now. Yeah, probably is. But we're, yes. we're getting old. Well, I know you are. You played in the Olympics 22 years ago. <laughs> That's right. Oh, dear. Yeah, so, Roy, great question. And hopefully those those ideas give you some thoughts about what you can do. Yeah, just stay relaxed. Don't get frustrated. Um, and try some of the different options. Yeah, maybe try attacking it back. See, see if you can pull that one off. Um, yeah, and, yeah, great tips, Alois. I like that one also. Wait till it's as high as it can be. Gives you more... Um, room for error. Nice. All right. Next up is a question from Jasper. Um, hold on one second. My phone seems to be ringing alloys. Is that Jasper? <laughs> Jasper's ringing up. Well, um, what's what's Jasper no. have to say for himself? No, not it's not <laughs> Jasper. Uh, I am getting a lot of spam calls at the moment, like unknown numbers and stuff like that. Um, I just yeah. ignore them. I didn't ever answer them. It's funny, isn't it? Like Are you I, getting a lot of spam calls at the moment? Not many now, but I, I just don't. Yeah, I haven't been answering. I, I don't answer any calls that from numbers I don't know anymore. And they That's the same with me. It's a bit sad, isn't it, that you have to resort to that. But It is. That's what I do. Just don't answer them. Um, but this was just linked to my computer and my computer started ringing. And, oh. <laughs> anyway, uh, Jasper has yes. a good question. He noticed good. that um, while watching the professionals doing a forehand flick, they would kind of jump into the ball and hit this flick as they're sort of jumping into it. And he was wondering, like, doesn't that sound a bit risky because you might lose your balance? And if you're sort of jumping into it, how do you recover quick enough as well? So he was wondering why they do it and is it worthwhile? Yeah, so um, often it's it's a matter of time and timing um, with that uh, with that flick stroke. So yeah, you will see you know that your better players. So what happens is they recognise that ball's short and they'll jump in with. Um, so if there are a left-hander, they'll jump in with their left hand. If they're a right-hander, they'll jump in with their right, uh, not with their right foot, sorry, left foot and right foot. So they'll jump in with their right foot. Um, and they'll often contact the ball before they land on the table. Now, it's not really that risky a stroke or, you know, well, especially those top players. I mean, they're, they're definitely not going to fall over. It's all part of um, 
part of an action. So it's the movement in and it's the stroke at the same time. And so they've got still got a little bit of momentum with their with their body and their wrist and arm uh, when they're playing that flick stroke as well. Um, you know, if if they if they have time, they'll often tend to land before they um, before they make the stroke as well. So it's yeah, it's just a little bit of um, timing. How much time do they really have to to get to that ball? But when they jump to that position, they're getting there faster. But then when they land, they've also got that energy in their their right foot to jump back to the next position. So um, rather than being static on that right foot, they're jumping in and jumping out, and that's a faster movement for them to be able to to um, to jump in and jump out quickly because often that next ball will be long because you flick the ball. The next ball will come long, so you need to be able to jump out and be ready for the next topspin or block or counter topspin or whatever it is that you're playing from away from the table as well. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And I've seen some some of the professionals like it's um, if it goes up too high, they almost come in and just do like a smash um, all in one movement where they kind of expect to hit it for a winner. Um, they get a lot yes. of power with that jumping motion. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so there's yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of power goes in because they've pushed off that that back leg. Um, you know, so there's a lot of power in that in the muscles in the leg as you as you push forward. And then as you're making the stroke, you've got that little bit more forward momentum as well. Mm, yeah, but uh, it's really, uh, I, I like what Jasper's doing here, watching the professionals playing, picking up on these little details. I think that's really good to um, to to take that sort of interest and then see how you can apply it to your own game. Yeah, Jasper, Jasper is a thinker. We get quite a few questions from Jasper, so well done, Jasper. Excellent. All right. Um, and then the next question, Alois, um, from our friend Spinny, has asked about the service um, motion. So um, he can do the reverse pendulum serve and a side spin pendulum serve. And he's, some other serves also consistently. But he finds that they're easily readable. So for the lower levels, they work really well. But as he gets to play better and better players, they can read his serves easily and they can return his serves well. And then suddenly the receiver's got the upper hand. So what can he do? Is there some motion he can add beforehand or afterwards to kind of confuse the server? How does he go about improving his serve? Yeah, so um, so we can start to introduce just some movements both before and after the contact that start to give your uh, opponent, the receiver, um, just a different look at what that serve looks like. So if you think about um, someone serving a pendulum serve to you all the time, and you've seen it a thousand times, um, it becomes easier to return. But if they start to alter the um, what the, the, the service stroke looks like, then even though they might be pl- putting the same spin on the ball, it's a different picture that you're dealing with and a different picture that you need to react to. So that's where you can start to get some deception. And you can add the deception in um, before the contact and also with your movements of the racket after the contact. The the key here though is to first up is to make sure that you're generating good spin on the contact. If you're not generating good spin on the contact, then it's not much point um, having you know um, 
a deceptive movement before or after. So the first thing for, for you as a player is to make sure that you're, you're getting good contact and good spin. Then you can start to think about what small variations or subtle variations to my movements, my racket, can I do before I contact it or after I contact it? And that's where you're going to start to get some deception and make it a little bit more difficult for the for the receiver. Um, we've done a video on um, uh, on deception with serves, so uh, we'll dig that one out for you as well and put a link to it uh, so that you can have a look at, um, at that. And it might uh, yeah it might uh, help you a little bit, might trigger some some ideas that you can utilise. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a, a good one uh, to look at, and I think also you need to be a bit realistic about um, your service as well, because as you do play better players, they are going to be able to return your serve. So you can't expect like every serve just to get an advantage. I don't think it's quite that easy. No, that's right. Exactly. You, yeah, you're really just looking for, you're really looking for little advantages, um, you know, and if it's, um, if it's, if it's every two serves, then I think you're doing really well. Um, so yeah, so how can you just make those subtle changes to make, just to make it a little bit harder each time for your opponent? Yeah. And I think like if you've got a good serve and you're playing people that are not very good, you can often win the point without them even returning the serve. And maybe that's what you expect as you get higher, but it's just not the case. Um, like you said, people have seen you seen these types of serves thousands of times, so they do know how to deal with them. Um, the, the other important thing I think there is that the deception also can doesn't have to only be before and after. That's good. But you can just have more or less spin on your serve as well as another key that you could work on, just varying the amount of spin with a similar action. Yeah, very good. Very good point, Jeff. That's right. Yeah, so um, just and, – and again, um, you know, people think – often think that – You've got to generate a whole heap of spin to make it effective. With spin is great, but then, uh, as Jeff has just pointed out, you know, sometimes serving with a little bit less spin makes it harder for your opponent. Or, you know, just changing the amount of spin that you've got on the serve as well as the type of spin can make it difficult. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Ah, very good, very good. Well, that wraps up the questions, Alloys. I told you they were good this week. Yeah, they're always good, Jeff. Um, but it, yeah, they are. It does bring us on to the Who Am I competition. Now, this um, the the current Who Am I question, Alloys. No one got it last week. It was um, no. not an easy one. But no, we're gonna we have some. Be- we're gonna have another clue this week. And remember, you can win um, a like a month's premium membership or an hour of online coaching with our superstar coach alloy so um you enter the competition by going to the ping skills website logging in clicking on your name and clicking on competitions and then you'll see a list of the competitions there but this who am i it's a tricky one alloys it is yes and uh so in uh week one we said that this person won an international singles and doubles open title at the age of 14. Um, no one got it. Um, this week, I'm going to tell you that it's a Japanese female player. So that's... Clue number two. 
And remember, no one got it in week one. All right. So get your entry and head over to the Ping Seals website, click on your name, click on competitions and have a guess. And and just have a guess because if you don't get it right this week and no one gets it, you can have another go next week. That's right. There you go. Great competition. All right. Now, Alois. Yes, Jeff. My um, my OMG Facts calendar is starting to run out. And so I, for Christmas, got the World Almanac 2022 calendar from my family, a year of fascinating facts. Fascinating? Is fascinating as good as OMG? I am not sure. That's what I'm worried about. Um, so, you know, maybe fact. today we'll have to compare some of the remaining OMG facts with the World Almanac facts and just just see. Not They're not just facts, though, are they? They're fascinating facts. Yeah, fascinating facts, yes. Right, so, okay, for good. example, today in sports history, we're recording this on in Australia here, uh, Tuesday the 11th of January. The fascinating fact is, in 1973, American League baseball team owners voted to approve use of the designated hitter. Whew. Do you ever know what the designated hitter is? Of course I know what the designated hitter is, Jeff. It's the person that they designate to go in and hit. <laughs> so, so America's got two leagues, and the American League... The pitcher doesn't have to bat. They can just designate some other guy to go in and hit for the pitcher. There you go. Only in the American League. Yeah, that's but right. In the in the other league. Uh, no, the pitcher has to bat. So oh. when sides from different things meet, it depends on where you play. The home team you play by their rules. So occasionally the pitcher will have to bat if they go play in the other league. Mm. There you go. So what? Yeah. So World Series, what happens there? Yeah, same thing. Because um, yeah, when you when you play in the American when the American League team plays at home, um, they you can have a designated hitter. Um, but when the other one, you can't have a designated hitter. There you go. There you go. Nineteen seventy three. That's a long time ago. They voted to to do it. Fascinating fact that one. Mm. Now. Because we, we can't do this weekly, so I've got a few here. So tomorrow, Wednesday, January 12th, in 1967, not long after you were born, not that you're old, um, <laughs> in 1967, psychology professor James Bedford died. He became the first person to be intentionally cri- uh, um, cryopreserved after death. Oh, oh wait. 1967, they started cryo-preserving yeah. people. That's a long time ago. Is he still cryo-preserved? Is he still cryo Apparently. There ready to be revived. And then um, here, in 1950, the yeah. most common U.S. first names, or the, the most common U.S. first names of the 1950s for boys Hank, were? Let, let me, let me, um, Hank? No. Okay, go on. <laughs> Hank, uh, have you been watching Breaking Bad? <laughs> no, I don't even know what that is. Oh, dear. Michael, David, James, John, Robert, Mark, William, Richard, Thomas, and 
Jeffrey. Oh, Jeffrey. There you uh, go. And, and girls, Mary. And Lee. Alois. Hang on. Alois wasn't there. Wasn't there, no. Okay. All Not right. popular in the just 50s check. in the US, Alois. Just check, Just checking. Go on. Uh, uh, girls, Mary, Linda, Patricia, Susan, Deborah, Barbara. Uh, Deborah spelt differently. Karen, Nancy, and Donna. Yeah. I wouldn't have picked any of those. There you go. Yeah. So there's the World Almanac facts. If we still a couple of OMG facts left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chewing gum can help improve one's memory. <laughs> the OMG facts seem a lot more um, just, you know, like random statements that you think that can't be true, don't they? <laughs> Chewing gum can help improve one's memory. <laughs> yeah, when you start to say can, you know, like... <laughs> And OMG fact, when the Big Mac was first sold in 1968, it cost $0.45. Yes. And 20% more antacids are sold the day after the Super Bowl than any other day. (laughs) Really? 20% more? Yep. 20% more. And this one, I don't know, does this apply to me? Aprosexia is the inability to concentrate. (laughs) <laughs> uh, maybe maybe it does apply to you <laughs> oh dear yes indeed well yeah i don't know yeah well we'll have to give the um almanac fascinating facts a few more weeks i think to uh to see what the readers think about it listeners Yes, definitely, definitely. A few more, a few more. Um, yeah, let's yeah. see, let's see. Yeah. Or if anyone has a better calendar, can you just send it to us? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Not much confidence in the World Almanac. No, I, I think it's going to be good. I good, think it's excellent. Gonna be, it's going to be great. I think it might replace the uh, joke of the week. <laughs> Oh dear, or the or the um on this day. Well, that's also possible. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. But if you've made it this far, thank you so much for listening. And um we look forward to uh bring you another show next week. Absolutely. In the, yeah, in the meantime, make sure you check out pingskills.com. We got videos coming up regularly now. Um and and you can always ask your own question there. So head on over, look at all the questions that people are asking. And, um, yeah, if you've got one of your own, chime in. Who knows? You might even get on the show. So thank you, everyone. And, of course, thank you, Alloys. Thanks, Jeffrey. And don't forget to go and enter that Who Am I competition. No winners last week. I think I've got them stumped. You certainly do. All right. Bye, everyone. <laughs>